Welcome to the Crescent Podcast. I'm Leanne. This podcast is an extension of my personal philosophy and commitment to continual growth in all areas of life. I firmly believe that optimal health comes from addressing all areas of us as human beings, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual health. Through expert interviews, I hope to both inspire and enable you to create sustained change in your own life. Thank you so much for tuning in and enjoy. to the Crescent Podcast. Today's interview is with Ellie Rome, and she is a holistic lifestyle and weight loss coach. And today we are talking all about how to manage eating addictions, sugar addiction, emotional cravings, especially during the holidays. And Ellie really shares her personal journey with Specifically, she says sugar addiction and how she began to develop so many different health issues and then what ultimately allowed her to overcome that sugar addiction, that emotional eating. And she shares some very, very tangible tips that we can use with Christmas and New Year's coming up and I'm sure many different holiday parties or gatherings even if it's just with your family in your home. She really walks us through ways that we can prepare for those a little bit better, get through those a little bit better. Be sure to check the show notes as she mentions a few different supplements and resources and I always tag my guest's website and social media in the show notes along with my own if you are looking to find us definitely listen till the end as we have a really fun challenge for all of the listeners to participate in. And if you do, make sure you tag both of us. We would love to see you guys participate. So with that, please enjoy this interview with Ellie Rome. Well, Ellie, welcome to the Crescent Podcast. Thank you, Leanne. I'm so excited to be here and to talk with you. Yes. And you you have to walk us through your history a little bit because I saw from your website that you were originally a chemical engineer, but you are now a holistic health and weight loss coach. So walk us through that journey. Yes. Okay. So I, yeah, I went to school for engineering. I was a chemical engineer for four years. I uh, I worked at Honeywell and I worked in a chemical plant and it was okay. The job was great, paid well, um, but it wasn't where my heart was. And in college, I actually throughout my whole life, I was a sugar addict. So I don't use that word lightly. I was constantly thinking about food, constantly looking for my next fix. I feel like every decision through childhood was based on like, am I going to get sugar? Am I going to get junk food? Because my mom didn't buy a lot. And so when I had the opportunity to eat it, it was just like my brain went wild and I got I would just get obsessed. And then that, it really didn't take a toll until college when I started to gain weight. So I start, I gained about 30 pounds in college and I was doing everything I knew to do to keep it off. So I was trying to starve myself. I got to the point where I was trying to make myself throw up unsuccessfully and just felt so much shame in my body, in my, like, I didn't want to get dressed. I didn't want to go out with friends. I didn't want to be in pictures. Like I just, in it, was spiraling because I would feel worse than I would use food to numb out. I would go on these crazy strict diets where I would restrict, like restrict myself. And then I would end up just binging on bags of Hershey kisses or like just felt completely out of control. 
And then on top of that, I started developing autoimmune thyroid issues. So I was losing hair. I was bloated, digestive issues. I was developing eczema, which I'd had when I was young and then it was coming back. And then these weird symptoms started happening. I was getting these shortness of breath issues where I couldn't get full breaths. Like it would just come up randomly. And I was getting numbness in my toes. My toes were going white and then my pinky toe would go black and I'd have to leave where I was. Yeah. Like weird symptoms. Oh I to leave where I was to go sit in a bathtub. Like it just got worse and worse. So I went to six different doctors, all of whom could not find anything wrong. My blood work looked fine. Um, just the general panels they ran and was kind of handed prescriptions for different symptoms. No one was asking why. And so then I finally went to a holistic practitioner who was the only one that asked me what I was eating. And I thought at the time I was doing well, I was eating like whole wheat bread and low fat yogurts and things that are preached that are healthy. But in reality, she knew pretty much instantly it was a lot of the foods that were driving this. So I ended up doing a, I went like gluten-free, dairy-free, soy-free. I found, I got some food sensitivity testing, did that for about three months and I didn't feel much better. And the reason was because I went to allergy-free processed food. So yeah, these foods were gluten-free cakes and brownies. And I was like, this is easy. I can do this. <laughs> so I was just eating crap. And, and then it was finally, it was like, I had no results. And so then I did, ended up committing to a whole 30. This was about seven years ago. And I failed the first 24 hours. But then I, but then I recommitted, <laughs> I recommitted and I made it. I did 30 days and my world changed. I mean, all of my symptoms went away within those wow. 30 days. Yeah. And it was the first time in my life that I didn't crave sugar, which I did not know was available. Like I didn't think that was humanly possible. Mm-hmm. And it was the start of something. It just woke me up and I started kind of getting obsessed. I wanted to know, understand the research and just like, oh my gosh, like I want to help people do this. And so that was the spark. And then it kind of just evolved from there. I was still binge eating. I was still a lot of times using food emotionally. So that was kind of the next step in the evolution. But yeah, that was the how it kind of mm-hmm. started. And then I worked on the binge eating, worked on the mindfulness tools, and then wanted to coach. I wanted to help people. So I got certified as a coach on the side of my engineering job. I did it for two years and then got to a point where I could leave and do it full time. Okay. Well, and I'm so excited because we are going to dive into emotional eating and how you yourself and then how you also coach clients to get out of sort of emotional eating habits. But I am super curious when you did the whole 30, did you have like crazy sugar withdrawals? Yes. <laughs> Horrible with the sugar withdrawals. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, I felt basically hung over for definitely the first week and then it like still went into the second week and then it kind of it finally broke after that yeah. second week. Yeah, I did it too in college. Actually, my best friend and I, we did it. And the first like four days, we were literally like laying on our apartment floor. <laughs> literally felt like we were hung over the worst headaches of our lives. And we were just like looking at each other, like eyes half open, like, how are you feeling? Like, I'm not so good. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But then after that first week, it was like, oh my God, I've never had this much energy. And then at the end of it, I think I had something like a drink from Starbucks. And I was just like, oh my God, I couldn't comprehend how sweet it was. Yes, I had that too. It was like going tasting things. It was just crazy how quickly your taste buds change when you're not hitting them with those hyper palatable foods. Yeah. And you start tasting real food and you're like, oh, this sweet potato is super sweet. I don't need to add sugar or yeah, yeah. maple syrup. 
Yeah, exactly. Okay, so now emotional eating, this is, it's kind of its own monster because we think about, okay, we can, you could have someone, and I'll include myself in this, who their baseline is really great. We're not eating super processed foods, tons of sugar, foods that we're sensitive to on a regular basis. We've sort of got that down. But there is this other component of nutrition that is so emotional that we reach for food when we're stressed. And I think you make a really key distinction here that even if you're reaching for healthy food when you're stressed, if you are just eating to fill an emotional void, there's still an issue there. And that's what we want to be free from. We want to be free from that emotional eating. So walk us through that a little bit. How do we even begin to tackle this? Because I know for me too, sometimes like when I go home to my childhood home, it's almost like muscle memory. It's so hard to fight against. Yes. Okay. So much to this. So um, <laughs> the muscle memory, I definitely want to talk to, but yeah, the first step for this is the awareness and the awakening. So many of the clients I work with ha had no idea that they were emotionally eating. And not necessarily, it doesn't mean you have to like be so stressed out or be so sad and in eating ice cream in bed. Like it doesn't have to be to that extent. It can be just that compulsion to reach for food as a distraction, as a form of procrastination. I know I used it to procrastinate all the time and it can be so unconscious. And so it's starting to recognize, I think the most powerful question that helped me was just every time food was about to cross my lips was just pausing and asking Am I actually hungry? What just triggered me to reach for this food? And this was a question without judgment. It was just pure curiosity. Like what's going on for me right now? And I was realizing that I was like compulsively reaching for it almost every hour. It was just like instantly my brain, anytime it had kind of like a just space, it was like, instead of being able to sit in that space, it wanted to go get that dopamine hit from food, even if it was Brussels sprouts, it was just like needed something to stimulate, if that mm. makes sense. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So once you've got that awareness, now you start to see it. And I think oftentimes, like, as you said, for yourself, you almost realize how often it's happening. What is the first step in starting to correct that starting to sort of stand up against that unconscious compulsion? Yes. So for me, it was needing to direct that compulsion into something else to create space. So it's often really hard to just not like if you're so conditioned, especially if you are stress eating to need that kind of like form of comfort. And so to create space by directing the compulsion to something else. So for me, what helped so much was was grabbing a club soda. And it. so I would literally have a stress trigger or maybe that procrastination trigger or whatever it was. I knew it wasn't true hunger would reach for that club soda and like, let that be kind of like a calming water. And it was just like, give me something to do. It was still getting that like oral fixation that mm. I was driving towards. And so it gave me a chance to just pause, direct that compulsion to something else and like breathe it down. Mm -hmm. And, and then, and then that evolved into kind of using that space, like as I'm drinking the water, like what's going on for me right now? What do I really need for myself? Is this, am I looking for comfort? Mm-hmm. Am I looking for stress relief or just I need a break and I'm looking for kind of a distraction and then to start finding non edible forms of nourishment. So even making a list of those things, like what is it that nourishes you that may you just may not be doing enough for yourself. So is it, you know, getting outside, getting in the sun, 
going to like scheduling in a bath, finding just space to breathe. And one of the breathwork techniques that really helped me that I see with clients really help is that is the five, five, seven breath. And there's so many techniques you can use. This is just one. Um, And it's basically a five second inhale, a five second hold and a seven second exhale. Just repeat that a couple of times. So if you are, yeah, if you are reaching for food out of a kind of a fight or flight reaction, it allows you to get out of the fight or flight state and bring yourself back into a grounded state, calm the central nervous system. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. How long, when you really started focusing on the emotional eating, how long did it take you to get to a point where you felt like you had overcome it to an extent? I'm sure it probably still comes up as it does for me too, but how long did it take you just kind of in general to get to a place where you're like, okay, I think I've got a pretty good handle on this? Yeah. Good question. I th- I would say at least six months. Like this was not an overnight process. It was a continuous, like, and then of noticing of just continuing practicing of continuing reaching for that club soda. And then it started to form a new neural pathway in my brain where it was like, then I'd have a stress trigger and I would be like, where's my sparkling water? And it was just the repetition of doing it so often and, and not beating myself up if I, if I did have a binge or if I did eat unconsciously. It was just like, oh, what was going on for me then? And I had also had really struggled with overeating, um, even with the healthy foods. And it was getting it was just constantly eating to the point where I was so full. And it was so frustrating because I'd do it and then I'd be like, I'd feel tired, feel sluggish, not feel well in my body. And so that was also a practice of reconditioning myself to not overeat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So many questions right now. So where do you recommend someone starts? Let's say they emotionally eat and they're eating a lot of really harmful foods for them. What, which one do they tackle first or do they try and tackle both at once? I think, I think so much of, of compulsive overeating, it's like you've got to clear out the actual diet itself because if you're hooked on sugar, like it's so hard to intuitively eat or to be able to even like, I don't want to say battle, but like be able to be conscious when you're so addicted to food. Like I, it was so hard for me when I was just like, so my body was physically addicted to sugar. So I think getting that out and really cleaning mm-hmm. up the diet first can be really just helpful in being able to actually become conscious to your patterns. But you can do it kind of simultaneously and then asking yourself when you are craving sugar, what's going on for me right now? Because so often we're looking for sugar because we're tired, we're looking for energy, or it's just that old conditioning that sugar is pleasurable, sugar is comforting. It is so like, okay, how could I nourish myself in this way without food? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, well, I completely agree. And I've seen it so much with particularly synthetic sweeteners and synthetic colors. I don't eat them very often, but when, you know, a couple months ago, I had like a saltwater taffy, which is just packed with corn syrup and fake flavors and fake colors. And I literally, my brain and my body felt hijacked for like a whole week after that. And I don't crave, I don't have cravings in general anymore since I've really, really cleaned up my diet. And I noticed after having that candy for a week after I was intensely craving sugar, like just like an addict. And it was such an eye opener for me of like, oh my gosh, this is how much it impacts you. This is how overstimulating these products are. 
Yes, a hundred percent. And I find this with, especially with the holidays, when you may be indulging in a little bit more and realizing like one day isn't what, you know, really wrecks people. It's that slippery slope. It's like it, all of a sudden you have that taffy or you have that piece of pumpkin pie. And then all of a sudden the brain lights up and it's like more, 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 where is it? And so it's recognizing and being able to be honest with yourself. Like, is this really worth it? Is this piece of taffy worth it? If I know now I'm gonna have to deal a week with battling these cravings and that's a self, there's no judgment in that. It's just like, okay, I could eat this. Do I want this result? Mm-hmm. And some, yeah. And sometimes it is worth it like during the holidays. Um, but it's just being very proactive of like, okay, I know I'm going to eat this and it's probably going to cause some cravings. So how can I set myself up for success the following day? So this doesn't spiral out of control. So it's things like getting temptation out after that. Like don't keep the pie on the counter, read it, like looking at you every day. And then also reaching for real food sweets as a way to like wean off, you know, like sweet potatoes. Um, I tell clients like frozen bananas are great. Like that can be like a little sweet thing that you can curb a craving with dark chocolate. And for me personally, abstaining for a couple of days, like completely abstaining from anything sweet. If you can just make it like 48 hours, those cravings go away so fast. It's just mm-hmm. like, just realizing that you've got to kind of, starve that begging dog that you like refed and now it's looking for another treat. Yeah, I love that. Well, let's dive into that. So first of all, I think that's such a great point of in the holidays, everyone wants to indulge literally like the last couple of weeks. I'm like, oh, I feel like hot chocolate and I feel like <laughs> a little cookie. But it's so funny because now that I don't have huge amounts of sugar that often, it's funny because my brain thinks it wants it. And then I'll have like two sips of hot cocoa and I'm like, oh, I don't want that. Um, but sometimes, you know, like just Thanksgiving was just three days ago and I had like a huge slice of berry pie with some nice ice cream dolloped on top. So much sugar. But it's true because we think to ourselves like, oh, I'll just indulge for one day. And I think, again, like you made such a good point of if you're consciously indulging in that, you know what the repercussions are going to be. Then you can consciously make that decision. This is worth the repercussions. Now, I'm at a place where I'm like, it's usually not worth the repercussions, but I love how you said too, if you are going to do it, we can do things afterwards to sort of bounce back to our baseline faster. But it was so fun. I was telling you before we started recording, it was so fun to see you posting on your social media, all the paleo recipes that you were making to replace some of these very common dishes and, and they can be so delicious. Yes, that's I, I love sharing those. Thank you for, for acknowledging them. Um, that we can still feel super indulgent, and it doesn't mean we have to eat the you know hyper processed foods, that we can up level things. And so, I love sharing with people that to kind of get off the good or bad mentality or like the all or none mentality and focus on foods uh, on a spectrum. Like, if, you're, if your default is to eat pumpkin pie that's like from Walmart and filled with processed oil and sugar. Like, how can we up-level that? Okay. Maybe you make one with an almond flour crust and use a mindful amount of maple syrup. So this pie doesn't like crazily spike your blood sugar and it's got real food ingredients in it. And it's gluten-free if you're gluten sensitive. And it's like, there's just so many shifts you can make and simple swaps, but it still feels super indulgent, but it's not going to push your body as far down. If that makes yeah. Sense. Yeah. I always say for me, it's like 
for me, each year is about raising my baseline of health. So maybe three years ago when I really started on this health journey, the baseline went from like eating just anything to maybe I cut out dairy. And now it's like dairy and gluten and a lot of animal products. And and so it's like, okay, we want to raise the baseline, even if it's just in minuscule amounts. But then when something knocks us off, it's sort of like, okay, how quickly can we get back to the baseline? But also, if we are going to indulge, how can we eat things that won't knock us so far from the baseline so that it's not as hard to get back to where we want to be? And I just, I always tell people, I'm like, guys, there are literally countless recipes online that are unbelievably delicious. I'm super into like making a bunch of keto stuff. I'm not really, I'm not doing a keto diet, but it's just, it's so fun. It's like, why not um, eat something that's going to be just as good with no sugar in it? Like, yeah, it's awesome. This year for Thanksgiving, I made um, gluten-free stuffing and my family didn't even know, you know, at the end yeah. they were like, it was so good, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, it was gluten-free, haha, you know, and they were like, what? <laughs> that is awesome. And yes, there's so many ways to up level and to still feel like you're indulging. Okay. Well, so let's dive into, you know, Thanksgiving has sort of passed. Maybe some of us are looking back over the last two days, like what just happened to me? I, I just ate everything within my sight. So coming into, or you know what, let's start with that. Let's say Thanksgiving's over. Someone just ate way too much, way too many foods that they know they shouldn't have. How can they, what are some tips you have to sort of, to physiologically get their body sort of detoxed and calmed down from all that. And then after that, we'll sort of dive into like with Christmas coming up, how can we get through those parties and dinners without indulging or over indulging in a bunch of bad food too much? Yes. So I think the first step is to not beat yourself up. Like it's okay that you enjoyed yourself. It's okay that you, you know, may have gone a little overboard to instantly forgive yourself if you've been beating yourself up and then reconnect to your intentions. You know, Start letting go of the mentality around food that it is associated with your identity. So if you eat this good food, then you are good. If you eat this bad food, then you are bad. And it's just like food is the way you show up in the world. Food is going to enable you to feel really good, to be present with your family, to be connected, to show up on your A game. And so to start choosing foods for those reasons versus just thinking about it as the calories, I shouldn't eat this. It's like, no, I can eat whatever I want, but how do I want to feel? And then to actively start, you know, getting those high energy foods that make you feel good specifically, because we're all different and write those down. And then how can you add those in this week, getting bouncing back? So, and if you're overwhelmed right now, if you're like, oh, I can't, I can't think about diet right now. I'm like, I'm exhausted from last week. Like just chunk it down. Take it one meal at a time. Like, how can you own breakfast? How can you make breakfast like the healthiest breakfast that's going to be keep your blood sugar stable, fill it with protein, healthy fats, so that you set your body up metabolically for success for the day? But if you're going into breakfast eating a bunch of cereal or bagels, it's just going to spiral you into craving more things. So it's like, okay, how do we start small? Let's chunk it down. Own your breakfast. And then progress, own your lunch, own your dinner, own your snacks mm-hmm. and and get the temptation out. As I mentioned earlier, I mean, number one thing, if there's pie left over, get it out of sight, donate it to a neighbor 
and don't just eat it to get it out of sight. <laughs> you know, like just, you can let it, you can let it go and realize that it served its purpose. And now you can, you can fuel your body with things that are going to make it feel good. Mm-hmm. Do you have any good anti-inflammatory foods you encourage people to eat? Yeah. And we're so, I mean, real food, when in doubt, eat real food. So things like um, your, I mean, I know we all have different perspectives on this. Um, for me, meat really serves me. So eating um, like grass-fed high-quality meat, your vegetables, fruit, nut seeds, if you tolerate them, um, healthy fats, getting those healthy fats in there to sustain your energy. As far as anti-inflammatory foods, I think well, my number one like multivitamin that I think is a super food that may be controversial, but I just see it helping so much is liver is liver. Yeah, I don't know how you yeah. feel about liver, but it's just yeah. so packed with bioavailable vitamins. And so from a good source and you don't have to, if you don't like the taste of liver, you can get, um, you can get desiccated liver supplements. I like brands like ancestral supplements or heart and soil. Um, they're from regenerative farms and yeah. So that would be my suggestion. Okay. So now heading into Christmas, just the month of December in general, how can one prepare themselves beforehand and then while they're there to navigate those situations a little bit better? Yes. So my number one tip is to definitely eat before you go to a holiday gathering. So do not arrive starving because that's just going to set you up. It's so much harder to say no to something that you know doesn't serve you when you are just ravenous. So eat some protein, eat some healthy fat before you go so you feel full and definitely bring food with you. Bring something that you enjoy eating that you can pick at if the host doesn't have anything, if it's all, you know, a lot of processed foods or things that you don't want to be eating. And you can make like we talked about. There's so many simple swaps. What do you normally bring to a party? Can you type in like paleo version of that? Can you type in or keto version of that? Um and so definitely bring a dish to you. There's tons of appetizers. If you need help, DM me on Instagram. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, so eat before, bring something with you. Watch out for the sugary cocktails. So a lot of times that's one place that gets people is just drinking super sugary drinks, drinking a ton of wine. And so choosing kind of like an up-leveled cocktail, things like vodka soda or making your, you know, doing a very dry, maybe like a biodynamic organic wine as a a shift up the scale and yeah, paying attention to that for sure too. Mm -hmm. Coming back into the emotional eating, because there could be two things at play, right? You're going to these parties and it's just a a physiological craving, you want to eat all that, or you see everyone eating all of it. But there could be another aspect of it where if you're going to a holiday gathering and there's maybe people that you don't really want to be around or that you don't see that often, you don't get along with, or it's just too many people, you get stressed, you're getting overwhelmed. And then that is triggering you. It's that emotional Mm -hmm. thing that's saying, okay, I need comfort right now. I'm stressed. So I'm just going to eat whatever. More often than not, that's what the emotional eating is for me is just like, oh, I'm a little overwhelmed right now. And then I find myself like reaching for things. Yes. Oh, thank you so much for saying this. And I think for parties and family gatherings, yes, a hundred percent that it can be so anxiety provoking, especially if you've got family members that maybe provoke you in certain ways or just being extroverted isn't your favorite thing. Maybe it's very depleting. And so if there's any element of social anxiety, then to reach for food as a form of comfort, like you mentioned, or just kind of an, an escape. 
And so to start being able to first be aware of your patterns and notice throughout the party, like, why am I reaching for this? What am I feeling right now? And I had, this is what really helped me stop. You know, I used to drink alcohol a good bit and would over drink. And the way to, I stopped that, I realized I was using it whenever I felt uncomfortable, I would go grab another drink. And so I was starting to recognize that, like, wait, why are you reaching for this? Breathe it down. Like you're okay. And just kind of having that comforting, compassionate self-talk. It's not, I can't have this or you shouldn't go eat that. It's just like, hey, what's going on for me right now? Let me take a couple breaths, tap into that five, five, seven breath. Maybe go go to the bathroom, take a, take a minute for yourself. And sometimes it's not forcing yourself to just like keep going or like be in an uncomfortable situation. You can You can take a moment for yourself, reconnect, remind yourself that you're okay. What are your intentions for being there at the party? And then begin again. And then mm-hmm. if you, yeah. And go, if you need something to create that space, like I said, like grabbing that sparkling water, getting a hot tea, something that you can kind of direct your compulsion to as you breathe it down. I'm really love that you said, don't shame yourself. Don't make yourself feel bad for wanting it, for having those cravings, because I know it can be really triggering for people who do have eating disorders, who are actually trying to get to a healthier place where they are allowing themselves to eat. And so I don't think either of us is saying, just starve yourself, not at all. It's saying, ask yourself, are these things I'm about to put in my mouth going to help my cells or hurt my cells? And that's really what it is. And then it's getting to a place where you can choose and say, you know what, I am craving this right now for whatever reason, but I can see... I can picture myself eating it and then see 10 minutes from now, 30 minutes from now, how I'm going to feel and acknowledge that this is going to hurt me physically, emotionally. And so I'm going to choose not to eat that. I'm going to choose some to eat something that's going to feed my body and feed my cells. And so there's a really big distinction there too, because I know almost, I think sometimes as soon as we tell ourselves, I can't have that, it there's something in our brains that's like, it wants to rebel and go straight for it. And it was really interesting. My mom told me something. She was like, I started to, you know, one of her affirmations was, I love food that loves me, basically. And I was like, that's such a beautiful way of looking at it. She's not looking at food saying, I can't have that. I can't have that. Nope, I can't have that. She's saying, "Mm, that food doesn't love me. That food doesn't love me. That food doesn't love me. And it's almost like it's almost like putting the blame on the food, not putting it on yourself. Like, I can't have that. And I just thought that was such a beautiful way of looking at it. And it helps you sort of hijack, not hijack, but play with your brain a little bit so that you don't get those. Yeah, that reaction to saying I can't have something and then your body automatically wants to go have it. Yes, that, that rebellious like voice that's just like, no, we're doing it. Mm-hmm. Or like, you, or then you go overboard because you're like, well, I already did it. So today's ruined and like falling into that all or none mentality too is something great to catch. And then also if you do want to eat something, whatever it is, just to be very mindful with it, you know, put it on a plate, go sit down, like eat it with intention, with gratitude, with using all your senses and really slow down. I think a lot of times if you are just like mindlessly picking at things, like you don't even realize what you're eating or what's Mm -hmm. going on. And then it has us a lot of times overdo it or, yeah, eat things that we we wouldn't normally eat. And I love your tip on like that future projection of like, awesome. Like, okay, if I eat this, how am I going to feel in 10 minutes and 30 minutes tomorrow? Like, 
And sometimes it can really help to mentally rehearse a party or a holiday gathering. Like if I was my best self, how would I show up for that? What would mm-hmm. I do when grandma offered me all these cookies that I really don't want because I know they're going to make my stomach hurt and they're going to make me feel lousy? Like, what can I do? I'm going to say, grandma, these look amazing. Thank you so much. I'm going to grab some in a second. Can I get, um, could you help me get a coffee? Could you, like, we um, could I have a glass of water? Like, if she just wants to be hospitable and it's like rehearsing those things because when we do it in our mind, it's like it's already been done. It's building that muscle. So when we show up for the situation, we can just play it out how we want mm-hmm. it to go. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, when you first started shifting your habits, did you have a lot of support from your friends and family or was there a lot of pushback? I um, A lot of support. I think people are generally very supportive and curious when you – like I like to frame it in a way when people ask me about it. Like I, it was learning that – you really don't have to explain anything to anybody, right? Like you don't have to, mm-hmm. you can kind of, like, no, thank you is a complete sentence. And usually people, <laughs> you know, you don't have to go into some saga about your digestion or like, it's just kind of like, Oh, like I'm a good right now. Thank you so much. And most people are okay with that. Um, some people do push a little bit and it's, I often frame it in a way that I'm experimenting I'm, I'm trying things for myself, seeing how I feel. And that way it doesn't project that I'm like what they're doing is bad because they're eating that thing. I'm just like, oh, I'm not just, I'm just trying to like see how I feel. I'm doing, you know, experimenting with my body. And it was really helpful because then people would just be like genuinely curious, mm-hmm. not trying to push food on you. They're just like, oh, what's going on? I want to learn more. And so it made it a positive reaction versus like, oh, well, you sh- like, don't worry about it. It's one day. Mm-hmm. Just eat it. And so um, also yeah. just sticking to your to yourself and your intentions. Mm-hmm. I love that. And I think that's such a good approach to it too, because I tend to, because I love like the science behind everything. I love to go into the saga of, oh my gosh, well, you know, I realized that uh, gluten creates this inflammatory response in the gut and blah, 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 you know, and but then it, that's what it does is it makes them feel bad that, oh, I am eating the gluten and creating an inflammatory response in my gut or whatever it is, you know. And so that's something I've really had to work on of just saying, exactly, no, thank you. Oh, I'm good right now. And then just leave it at that and <laughs> not dive yeah. into it. And then if people are curious outside of that, maybe they're paying attention and they notice and they ask, then that's a little different thing there. You can tell their mind is ready to absorb something. But that's such a great point too. And then you don't feel like you have to go on the defense and defend yourself. Yes, exactly. And I think that's the part that can be scary. And I know it was in the beginning for sure, just like feeling like you do have to defend yourself and realizing that you really don't. For people who are super addicted to sugar, (laughs) (laughs) with the holidays, we're in the midst of it. And that can make it even harder. Even the most disciplined person in the world is probably eating more sugar than they normally do during the holidays. So what are some of your best tips? Yes, for sure. So I think there is a distinction between somebody who is like, like sugar addict identifies as that, where if you eat a little bit, it really lights up your brain and you have difficulty stopping. That's where who I was. And then some people can moderate. So if you're in the ballpark that you are this person that like cannot stop once you start, I think best thing to do is to try like minimize as much as you can and just eat the foods that make you feel good majority of the time. And then during the holidays, plan out your indulgences. And so that 
it doesn't have to be this all or none thing, but it's like, you get to find the worth it foods. Like we mentioned, like identify what are those things that you really love during the holidays? Can you up level them? Can you make a recipe swap? And if not, if you want your grandma's like her apple crisp, like that's okay. And just create mindfulness around it. So you can eat, you know, your low sugar the rest of the time. So you're not having so many cravings for things. So getting your blood sugar under balance is going to help so much with not having cravings for sugar. And then when you do decide to indulge, put it on a plate, sit down, as we talked about, slow down, eat every bite with intention, and then realize, I know for me, once I finish that, whatever it was, immediately my brain wants more. It's like, where's the next bite? Let me get seconds. And so having something I like, it's called a post indulgence ritual is what I call it. So basically <laughs> it's once you eat that thing, it's giving yourself immediately something to do afterwards for your brain to go to, to, to signal to like, this is over, but to still have something that's pleasurable. And that's kind of a way to direct your attention so that you're not just in this limbo period of like fighting, fighting that want for more. So an mm -hmm. example of this, yeah, an example of this is having getting hot tea right after, getting a sparkling water, immediately going for a walk, like change your environment and just actively doing something right after so that you don't keep going. And then realizing that you may have spurred up some sugar cravings. So to be proactive about it and to put in things in place, like removing the temptation, like having some real food that will help not like jack up your blood sugar Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that. I love the changing the environment because it's so true. That is so often the thought of, oh, I got to get the food. I got to get more. But if you take yourself, I think for me, that would be a really great thing to apply because you take yourself out of that environment and you give your brain something else to think on. And then more often than not, it's really like the first two minutes. And if you can yes. get past that time, it's gone. Yes, exactly. And knowing that, I think, thank you so much for saying that. Like, yeah, two to five minutes, the craving will pass. So it's just like, how can I distract myself for two to five minutes? And I'm not even going to think about this again. <laughs> and then for me, something I really love to do, and you've touched on this too, is if I know I'm going to have something sweet, because really throughout my day, the only time I have sugar is in my coffee in the morning and I use coconut sugar. So it's not quite as stimulating. But if I am going to have something like a cookie or a piece of pie for whatever reason, I'll have like a big spoonful of almond butter or something with really good fats and some fiber so that that sugar doesn't just burn off right away. The fat kind of helps it become more of a slow burn and then you don't get that huge crash later on. So that's sort of like a, I guess a hack of mine is if I am going to indulge sort of like what we were talking about, how can we make it so this doesn't knock me so far from my baseline? And for me, having some kind of good quality fat with a sugary thing doesn't knock me so far from the baseline. Yes, that's so great to point out. And yeah, building your plate, focusing on what you're adding in and adding protein, add like fiber, like you said, that's going to help slow the blood sugar absorption. So don't get that huge spike and then a huge crash and then you crave more. So it's like keeping that slow burn, that, that slow, like stable blood sugar for sure. Yeah. So I always like to ask, do you, and actually, you know what? I wanted to say, I think this would be a fun challenge to, have to the listeners is to ask them to choose a swap, a swap recipe for one of their favorite dishes. And if they make it, they can tag both of us on social media so we can see it and like share in the excitement and the encouragement. But I think that would be a really fun thing. So for the listeners, we're challenging you, me and Ellie, <laughs> <laughs> 
to find a swap for one of your favorite holiday dishes or desserts and make it and tag us in it so we can celebrate with you. Yes, I so love fun. this challenge. That will be so fun. And there's so, so much stuff. People are so creative. Yeah. Oh my gosh, totally. So then before we close out, any other products, books, resources that you find are really helpful for people who are maybe wanting to learn more about emotional eating or sugar addiction or just healthy eating in general? What are some of your favorite resources? Yeah, I think um, some of my favorite resources would be Fat Chance by Dr. Robert Lustig. If you want to learn about like what sugar is doing to your body, this was, I love, he has lectures online too on YouTube. I used to listen to them like every day and it would just grilled it into my mind. And so I think this is really helpful too. If you are listening to this and you are a sugar addict or have um, just like trying to use food as fuel, listening to stuff on the regular or reading stuff keeps it at the forefront of your mind. It gives you more motivation each day to just stay in it. And I have a podcast called Don't Eat Your Feelings with Mindful Belly. And I talk a lot about this stuff. So you can connect with me on there. And then other, um, another doctor who was really powerful for me was Dr. Michelle May. She has a book called Eat What You Love, Love What You Eat. And she also has some specific resources for binge eating and mindful eating. And she's so, like her tools are very practical tools and very powerful. So definitely check her out. Again, that's Dr. Michelle May. Okay. Yeah. I'll make sure all of those are tagged. And then of course your podcast, your website, your Instagram. I love following you. Just a personal note. I love following (laughs) you. It's so fun to see all the things you're doing, you know, all the sort of up-leveled recipes that you're making. So I find it super inspirational. Oh, thank you, Leanne. Yes. And then I wanted you to mention, because you have coming up in January, some kind of 21-day course or challenge. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. So um, this is the Mindful Valley 21-Day Reset. I lead it quarterly throughout the year. And the January one starts January 11th. And what it is, is essentially think about it as like a, like a practical Whole30. So it's very much getting out foods that are commonly problematic for people, things like gluten, dairy, soy, but and balancing blood sugar is our mission. Reducing inflammation is our mission. And this is though not in a way that feels like deprivation. So it's teaching you the tools. How do we make these swaps? How do I up-level these things? How do I make this really practical and sustainable for my lifestyle so that I don't feel deprived? Because I love the Whole30, but I've worked with so many people who have already done the Whole30. And it's, it's just for many people, it's not sustainable and they end up just falling back into old patterns. And so this is really figuring out how to make it work into your life. And then on top of that, so it's the nutrition coaching. So it's 21 days. It's a group program. So we're all online in private Facebook group. I'm coaching you daily. I'm available to everybody um, for questions, for helping them with their meal plans. And then we have weekly group coaching calls. And on top of that, we do daily live fitness classes with me and guest expert trainers. We have daily live meditations and then guest expert speakers come once a week and on just specific topics for health. So it's kind of like a holistic approach oh to gosh. health for 21 days. It sounds amazing. I love oh, thank that. You. Yes. Thank you. I'm so excited. I'm so excited to share that with the listeners and hopefully, I don't know, I'm thinking about joining <laughs> it myself. <laughs> yes, Leah. would love I that. Think that would be amazing. Well, Ellie, thank you so much for coming on and sharing this. Thank you, Leanne.